Welcome back to the Pelibox Podcast. This is your host, Will Pesic, coming to you live from the second floor of the Martiri Building Studio Center. The NHL playoffs are finally underway, and with a lot of surprise to others, how about the teams that have a 3-0 series lead chokehold over the other team? The Columbus Blue Jackets, they're up 3-0 over the, the, uh, the favorite Tampa Bay Lightning, the New York Islanders, they're up 3-0 over the Pittsburgh Penguins, who was also the favorite coming into this game. And the Chicago, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, Cal, Cal McCarr, his NHL debut from UMass, getting his first NHL goal in a drubbing 6-2 win over the uh, Calgary Flames. I still have Calgary in that series, but what a start for the Islanders and for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Liam Glatterman joins us. Rangers get second in the NHL draft. We'll discuss that. The next prospect available for them is probably Capo Caco. Devils with the lottery, they're in, uh, they're in possession of getting the favorite to go first overall, Jack Hughes. Without further ado, we turn to Liam Glatterman. Liam... Islanders and Blue Jackets both up 3-0. Which one is more surprising to you? I'll start Islander fan right here. I did not think we were going to be up 3-0. I thought we were going to win the series. But to be up 3-0 and the way that we are up 3-0, the Penguins look dead. Crosby has no points. We're getting under Malkin's skin. We're getting under Kessel's skin. Getting under Hornquist's skin. The defense has been terrible. Justin Schultz has been abysmal. Chris Otay has been abysmal. Matt Murray's been terrific. Other than that, the Penguins look absolutely dead. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you're going to ask me which, you know, results so far is more surprising, I'm going to say the Blue Jackets, but it's the Blue Jackets only by a little bit, and that's really, you know, shocking for me because going into the series, I thought that Columbus had absolutely no chance, and the way they have come out is more of an indication on how good the Blue Jackets are rather than how bad the Tampa Bay Lightning are. Remember, Victor Hedman and Anton Strowman hasn't played much in this series. They're both out tonight. They were both out the last two games. I believe Strowman's been out long term, and this defense is depleted. They came out in game one, and they gave up a 3 nothing lead to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, and in the third period, they, you know, the Blue Jackets came back, won the game 4-3, and, it, and it honestly, it sent a dagger through the Tampa Bay Lightning. Even though it was only one nothing at that point, you could tell, you could just tell that the Lightning were not the same team that they were last year or past years, even in 2016 when they went to the cup final against the Blackhawks. Well, because, you know, you can argue that's arguably the same core, you know, you know, besides, you know, the addition of Nikita Kucherov and, and you know, some additional pieces that they acquired from the Rangers. But that's a real shock to me. The way that Columbus has been able to play so far in this series has been absolutely, uh, you know, mind-boggling. Their power play has been terrific. Seth Jones look, looks like probably the most dominant defense, defenseman in the playoffs that I've seen so far. Their, you know, their power play is excellent. Matthew Shane is waking up. Ryan Zingo's playing very well, you know, himself. You're seeing Josh Anderson, Nick Foligno. They're all coming together and, you know, working real hard. You, you know, Artemi Panarin looks like a superstar out there. Sergey Bobrovsky, you know, is playing the best hockey I think he's played in two years. Uh, it, you know, everything had to go right for the Columbus Blue Jackets for them to be in this spot. And I'm telling you right now, everything has gone right that can go right for the Columbus Blue Jackets so far. Now, with that said, I'm not going to come out here and say the Tampa Bay Lightning have played poorly. I think it really comes down to one thing. I, I think it comes down to bad, timely 
defensive miscues that have lead to goals for the Blue Jackets. Uh, and I think that it has been how good Sergei Bobrovsky has played and how well he has been able to stand on his head. And I think that, you know, the Lightning have really been shut down and the Lightning's main calling card in the regular season is how many goals they've been able to put up. Because you cannot put this on Vasilevsky. Even though it's a depleted defense in front of him at the moment, Vasilevsky's still playing well. It's not like Vasilevsky, you know, has come out here and has really, you know, played poorly and that's why they're down in the series. The Lightning are down in the series due to one reason and one reason only, and that's because they can't put pucks in the back of the net. And for an offense that is so well-structured and, you know, so potent like the Tampa Bay Lightning, that's a shock. And, you know, furthermore, just, just a quick, you know, little side note, and then I'll get to the Islanders. The fact that Nikita Kucherov has to go in game two and make a very, very bad, a very poor, a very, you know, just, just a bad decision to lay that hit and lay that check to the head and, you know, get that one-game suspension. And, you know, if they lose tonight, you can argue that that game three was the most important game in this series. And Nikita Kucherov not being there really costed them because they were down by one goal majority of that game. They came back, you know, in the third period. They Palak got them within one. And then, you know, it, it just all went downhill from there. But if they have Kucherov in the lineup, maybe that's a different result. So, you know, you can't make bad decisions like that if you're a superstar like Nikita Kucherov. It could end up costing his team the series. Will, let me just get your thoughts on Tampa and, and, and Columbus because I, I can't go on more. So. We also have to remember, Tampa Bay was up 3 nothing in Game 1. Exactly, they were. And, you know, they gave up a lead, and, and, and that, that's really bad. I mean, look... The problem with Tampa Bay is not their ability to start games and to get on the board. Their problem has always been, can they maintain the lead? And I think that they really, you know, I wouldn't, they took their foot off the gas pedal for a moment there. They got their three-goal lead, they took their foot off the gas pedal, and I don't think that they anticipated that Columbus was going to come at them as hard as they did. And when Columbus came at them, you know, Tampa Bay had nothing but to do but to sit back and take it and and Columbus gave it to them real bad. And you could argue that's why the momentum swung so far in favor of Columbus that they're not going to look back. Well, you know, you've been saying a lot of great things, but I'm just going to say this out there right now. If Tampa Bay does not come back, and it's unlikely that they will, uh, history shows that only four teams have come back uh, down 3 nothing in a series. Now, out of the, both teams that are down 3 between Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay... <coughs> Excuse me. Tampa Bay... Hold on a second. Tampa Bay... No, Tampa Bay has the best chance to come back between them and Pittsburgh. That's how good they are. And, you know, just give it a will, just a quick second, but, you know... <laughs> uh, Thanks a lot. <laughs> No, no problem, but they certainly are the team to be. And just one little quick point, Will, before you can get on to, to, to your thing. I said it before the playoffs started. I said it's a show-me mentality. It's time for the Tampa Bay Lightning to go out there and show me, like the Capitals did last year, that they can go out and win a Stanley Cup. And if they don't, they will forever live in infamy as one of the most talented teams of our era to not go and, and, and win a Stanley Cup. Because if it's not this year, I have no... And also, they just re-signed John Cooper to a multi-year deal, and you have to think, will he be fired if they get swept? And they just signed him to a multi-year contract, so they'll look silly if they fire him right after that. And we came into this series saying, the Blue Jackets, 
They need to win a series, make it competitive at least, if Tortorella and Yarmo Kekalainen need to keep their job. Now we're here sitting, and the Tampa Bay won 128 points. They were the President's Trophy winner, favorite to win the Stanley Cup, signed their head coach to a multi-year contract extension. Now we're here sitting on April 16th after all this is set and done. Is Cooper going to be back with the Lightning? It's a tough question to ask. Gun to my head, I say yes. New multi-year contract extension, they're going to have to pay him if he's going to sit out. But it's just crazy how fast things turn. And if Tampa Bay gets knocked out, which I think they will now, it's anybody's cup to grab in the Eastern Conference. If Toronto beats Boston, who the hell knows who's coming out of the East? And you know, well, I know you're just licking your chops. You're, you're, just, you're just ready to say it, and I'll come out there and say it. I'm a Ranger fan, but, you know, from a hockey fan's perspective, give me an Islanders versus Toronto Maple Leafs Eastern Conference Final. That is what's best for business. That is what's best for the NHL. And let me tell you, I'll get into the Islanders in a second, but the way they're playing, they may be the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Maybe outside the Capitals, they may be the team to beat in the East. I really think so. With that defense and how good they perform, I don't really think that you can ask any hockey fan. They'll tell you different. Hey, I'll tell you straight out. You know, I hate the Islanders. I hate them with my guts. But you know what? <laughs> I came before the before the playoffs, and I wrote them off. I said that the Penguins' skill and the Penguins' playoff pedigree, and you know, Sidney Crosby being the best player in the world, and Evgeny Malkin not too far behind, and, and you know, Matt Murray standing on his head, you know, winning two out of the last four Stanley Cups. I really thought that the Pittsburgh Penguins were going to come out and win the series. But let me tell you, I was absolutely 100% wrong. From game one, the New York Islanders have looked like the better team. And Will, I'm sure you'll agree with me, it's not even close. I mean, you go, you know, you go past game one, Justin Schultz ties the game, you know, with a couple minutes left. Islanders gone to win in overtime by a goal by Josh Daly. I still thought they were the better team in game one. I thought they needed to close out Pittsburgh, and that's exactly what they did. They lost their lead there for a second, but, I, you know, I thought they were definitely the better team. You go on to game two, the Islanders dominated Pittsburgh in game two. The Islanders were so much better. The way that their defense was and the ability to shut down Kenny Malkin and Sidney Crosby is a defensive structure I've never seen before. That, that, is, that is how good it is. And, sure, their goal scoring, you know, it's not going to knock your socks off. But you look at timely goals from guys like Rob Nelson. You look at timely. You look at Matt Barzell, who's beginning to show up. You look at a guy that I talked about a couple podcasts ago. I said that if the Islanders are going to, you know, make a run in the playoffs, it all starts with one guy who stepped up when they were struggling the most, and that's Jordan Everly. Look what he's done. Yeah. You know, he had the uh, game-winning goal, I believe, uh, in Game Three in Pittsburgh on a goal that I don't know how he scored that. That was uh, from such a bad angle, but. He has been the driving force for this team. And I know, I watched the Rangers in the 2014 playoffs, and I know a special team when I see one. And I know it's just one series, but that's the type of vibe I'm getting. The electricity and Nassau Coliseum, it's great. It's wonderful for hockey. And, you know, let me tell you, it's a damn shame that they're going to have to play the rest of their games in the Barclays Center and that, you know, Nassau Coliseum is not going to be able to experience, uh, you know, playoff Islander hockey, at least this year, uh, past the first round. But, Look, if they can keep their defense and they can continue that structure against the Washington Capitals, if the Capitals get past the Hurricanes, which I'm sure we'll get to in just a second, I think that they will. Spoiler alert, I think that we are headed towards a fantastic Eastern Conference semifinal, and I think that 
you know, the Islanders, they can continue that structure, they continue to put the puck in the net, and Robin Leonard can continue to stand on his head, you know, I think that this is a real, real force to be reckoned with. And, you know, I'm impressed. I'm a Ranger fan. I want them to get demolished, but I'm impressed. I really am. You think that the Islanders sweep the Penguins today? Or actually, better question, do the Penguins win this series? No, no. The Penguins don't win this series. I mean, look, if you ask me after it's, you know, 3-1, you know, tonight if the Penguins are able to, you know, force a game five, my tune doesn't change too much. You know, they win game four, they win game five, then come back yeah. to me. But, you know, the Penguins need to show me something different. They came out in game three in Pittsburgh in front of their home crowd. They score the first goal. Yeah. They look really, they look really good. They and looked good the for the first five minutes, and they scored within the first five minutes. And the once Everly scored, their training wheels came off. Yeah, Everly scored, and I think it wasn't too long after. Brock Nelson made a two. It was 60, 62 seconds later. 62 seconds later, and that's what it's all about. The Islanders giving and stripping away momentum that quickly. And, you know, being able to turn the tables is something that good teams do. And, you know, you're go- in the playoffs, one of the most important things are timely goals. And two goals in 62 seconds is certainly huge to, uh, A, demoralize an offense that hasn't been able to get much uh, going in the first two games and demoralize a crowd, you know, that has seen their team lose the first two games of the series. And if they lose game three, how, you know, demoralizing that will be and how much, you know, little hope there will be left. And just to take that away from Pittsburgh and their fans really, really strips away a lot of their motivation and a lot of their momentum, if they had any going into Game 4. So, you should be elated, Will, honestly. Yeah, I'm just a little nervous because Sidney Crosby has zero points this series. You have to expect he's going to have a breakout game, but... People said it after Game 1, Crosby was a ghost. He's going to have a good Game 2. Game 2 ended. He's going to have a big Game 3. They're at home. He's been nowhere. He's had a lot of chances. Robin Leonard stopped him. But I came into the series telling people one thing and, and, and one thing only. If there's two teams Barry Trotz knows the most, it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, who he's played four times in a row in the playoffs, and the Washington Capitals, who he's been the head coach of four straight years in the NHL. He's going to have to face the Penguins this round, and perhaps the Capitals, the second round, and he knows both teams like the like the palm of his hand. And honestly, as an Islander fan, that's what you want to hear. Now, statistically, you want to play Carolina. If Carolina can play like they played, like they demolished Washington last night, you don't want to play Carolina. To me, I want, I'd rather play Washington. Trotz knows them. We have a good history against Washington in the playoffs. We play hard against them. And it's going to be a fun, exciting series. Islanders, Capitals, Trotz versus his old team. You can't ask for anything else better than that. And not to mention, statistically, the Capitals have a habit of being able, of not being able to get out of the second round. They did it last year, but they, it's, it's, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there too, I guess. <laughs> You know, well, I disagree with you. I think that the Islanders should absolutely 100% want to play the Carolina Hurricanes over the Washington Capitals. And, you know, just just to go back to Barry Trotz just for a second, you know, before I get into the second round potential series, look, Barry Trotz figured out for the first time uh, during his tenure with the Washington Capitals how to figure out the Pittsburgh Penguins last year. And that's what he did. You know, their their structure and, and, you know, the structure, and you can argue that it's the same defensive structure that the Islanders have that the Capitals had last season, both under Barry Trotz, same system, was able to figure out.
figure out the uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, looking back on it now, I think that a lot of us should have seen it coming, that Barry Trotz's system was able to figure out the Pittsburgh Penguins last year and that there was no question that this Islanders team, with arguably the same system, was going to be able to figure out and beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. Didn't even cross my mind. It really should have. But, you know, you're starting to see the Barry Trotz effect not only on the Islanders, but on the opposition as well. And I think that, that that leads me to the second round, and I think that you really do not want to go up against a similar system in the second round, in any round of the playoffs. And I'll take you back to one game in the regular season for the Islanders. They played the Boston Bruins in, uh, in Nassau Coliseum, and they lost 5 nothing. And they played against the Bruins, who have the same structure as they do, but a better, better version of it and a more potent offense. And I think that that's what they run into against the Capitals. It's the same system, it's the same defensive structure, but I'm sorry, Will, if you're looking down that offense, I think no question the Capitals have the best offense in the Eastern Conference, never mind against the Islanders. Islanders have a good up-and-coming offense, but when you talk about being able to roll all four lines and score goals in big key moments, I think that the Capitals are the team to be in that category. And when going up against the same system, and you know when going up against a team that can score more goals than you can, you're just asking for trouble there. You're asking, you're looking for the Carolina Hurricanes to be a young, up-and-coming team. They stole one, and I hate to say it, but they stole one game at home against the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Washington Capitals. If they're able to tie that 2-2, you should absolutely 100% hope that you can go on and face the Carolina Hurricanes because I'm not saying that you're going to go and boost in the second round against the Washington Capitals, but I'm saying it's going to be a much, much more difficult challenge than the Carolina Hurricanes is, uh, will be or you know would be. And it's not even close. And I think that, you know, that's how potent and that's how good the Washington Capitals offense is. I don't care what kind of structure you have. Any team that the Washington Capitals are going to go up against, and we saw that last year in the playoffs, is going to have a tough time stopping that offense. And even the Islanders are going to have difficulty doing that. And I think, you know, when you're looking at the second round, you're looking at the easier road to the Stanley Cup final, you really want to face Carolina. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just think Trotz knows Washington more than any other team he knows in the league, uh, and it would be a, a big help. But we'll see where that series ends up. Let's go on to talk, actually, really quickly. Does Tampa Bay come back from uh, from, from 3-0? Uh, I don't that know. one's a little harder. Like, to me, Penguins, yeah. I say no, but Tampa, I almost want to say yes because how good that team is. Yeah, the team's really good. It's a show-me type of thing. I'm going to say no right now because I think that's how much of a number that Columbus has over the Lightning at this point. But don't be surprised if we see a reverse sweep here. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Because that's how good Tampa Bay is. So, moving on, let's get to Nazem Kadri. Uh, dirty hit, Tampa Bay, I'm sorry, Toronto up 2-1 against Boston. I still think Boston wins that series. I think Kadri should have been suspended for the rest of the playoffs, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I agree. I believe he just got suspended for six games or the rest of the first round. For uh, It was rest of the first round, yes. But I think he should be rest of the playoffs. I mean, that was just dirty. And he's a repeat offender, too. Yeah, repeat offender, and I think that's why he got the... You know, the length of games that he did. It's certainly a dirty hit, certainly something that you don't want to see in today's NHL. And, you know, I mean, look, I get it. 
You know, it's a rivalry. It's a big series. There's emotions running wild. You know, these are two very talented teams who want to beat each other up, but you don't go about it that way. That's just an unprofessional hit, and, you know, it just doesn't belong in the playoffs. And I think that the NHL made the right move suspending Nazim Kadri for as long as they did. And it's, uh, it's funny. I, I was working yesterday, and I believe that Kadri was in the uh, NHL offices talking to, upstairs talking about his suspension in the phone hearing. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, dirty hits does not belong in the NHL playoffs, doesn't belong in the NHL, period. And I think that the suspension was definitely warranted. And it's, look, as far as the series goes between Toronto and Boston, I, I you know, I took Boston before when we chose who's going to win the series. Uh, I'm changing my tune. You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, man, I got to give them credit. I mean, this has been a very, very odd playoff. Well, I'm sure you can agree with me. You know, most of the teams that many expected to go out there, you know, and win really are not doing so. And it's really, you know, it, it's really come as a surprise to me. I'm not sure about you, but, you know, with Toronto taking a 2-1 lead, I thought Boston was going to be all over Toronto. I think I, I was on record saying a couple podcasts ago, I said that Boston was going to beat Toronto, and I didn't think it was going to be, you know, I didn't think it was going to be even. I thought that it was going to be, a, you know, a large gap, you know, in, uh, in the uh, in the win totals for that series. But I am changing my tune. You know, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, how good Mitch Marner has been in this series. And, hey, i got to give credit where it's due. Toronto's defense has really stepped it up. You know, if you're going to ask me before the playoffs, what would Toronto have to do to have any chance? I'd say that Freddie Anderson would need to stand on his head. Their goal scorers would need to score. And those defenses, you know, that defense was going to need to stay stable and probably play better than they had all year in the regular season. And for a defense that played so poorly leading up to the playoffs, to go into game one and play as well as they did, you know, and, and, and you know, come home last night and, you know, take a, take a game against Boston, it's really impressive. And now it's the pressure is really on the Boston Bruins to make the adjustment. I really think so. I still take Boston in that series. Let's go out to the Western Conference now. Vegas and San Jose. Obviously a back-and-forth series there. Mark Stone getting his first career hat-trick. I take Vegas in that series. Uh, give me your thoughts on that series so far. Yeah, yeah, I, I took Vegas as well. But just before we get into the Western Conference, I just want to mention one thing out of Carolina uh, and Washington, and that was that knockout last Oh, night. yes, for sure. Andre Svechnikov, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't. People said Ovechkin fell, uh, like pushed him down. I think Svechnikov lost his balance, and Ovechkin was holding on to him, so he fell down as well. Ovechkin did say he wishes him the best, and he hopes he's okay. All, all, uh, all is good there. <laughs> Two non-fighters. Maybe Ovechkin should fight more often. I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, hey, this is a guy that's not going to take any BS, and I mean. Sure, we don't know the specifics of it, but Svechnikov, a fellow Russian, uh, about Alex Ovechkin, and maybe something was said, you know, something personal, something in Russian, you know, that's probably too explicit to say on this podcast. But, uh, you know, uh, Ovechkin certainly gave it to him. Uh, but it was certainly interesting to see a superstar player like that getting uh, getting the gloves tangled up and, you know, letting such a, you know, a big punch on the youngster, number two overall pick by Ambassador Salim. Uh, this year, but moving on to Vegas and San Jose, uh, yeah, well, I agree with you. I took Vegas to, to win the series, and I thought, you know, look, I got to give credit where it's due. Mark Stone is a guy who did not perform well after the trade deadline, after he got moved to the Senators, you know, took a little bit of time to, you know, get affiliated with his new team, 
But boy, oh boy, has he looked good in this series. I think it's five or six goals he had. I believe he had a hatchet the other night in game three in Vegas. And, you know, this is a team that's up 2-1 right now. Marc-Andre Fleury can stand on his head. They're looking really, really good. But, hey, if you want to see a series with a lot of goals, this is the one to watch. Go on to the Calgary Flames and the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I took Calgary after the way Colorado performed yesterday. I might change my mind. Yeah, I took Colorado. I, I told you, I believe I said it on a couple podcasts ago, I said, look, Colorado's playing the best hockey of, of their season. They won 9 out of 10 going into the postseason. Uh, you know, certainly the only question mark I could have raised was Philip Grubauer in that. But if you want to raise questions about Colorado's goaltending, you have to raise questions about Calgary's goaltending as well. And that's where I think the big disparity really comes, you know, here. I think that Nathan McKinnon has looked like an absolute dominant, you know, force out there early on in the postseason. And I think Cal McCarr last night coming in in his first NHL game, just signed an NHL contract after winning the Obie Baker Award, comes in and scores his first NHL goal, first NHL playoff goal, ended up being the game-winning goal. And let me tell you, Mike Smith, he had a good night last night. He gave up six goals. It was not entirely on him. There were a lot more, you know, offensive opportunities for the Avalanche that could have gone in. It could have been a lot worse. But I said it before the series, Colorado has a very good, dynamic offense. They have arguably the best top line in the league with Ranton and McKinnon and Landeskog. And, you know, with Cal McCarr coming in, Tyson Barry on the back end, and a hot goaltender, they can go places. And I said it before. I said the Calgary Flames' playoff pedigree and the lack of experience and the lack of success they had in the postseason is going to come back to bite them. And, you know, I know it's only 2-1, but with the way the momentum is shifting in this series, it looks like it's all Colorado. And if they can't turn you know, look, I mean, you want to switch for momentum, I think they go with Mike Smith if I'm Calgary for game, uh, game number four. But if they lose game four in Colorado, you go to David Riddick for a game, win or go home game game five. Oh, boy, oh, boy, that is a lot and a ton of pressure. And that was another point I raised for the playoffs. I said, look, you're going to go with one goaltender, whether that be Mike Smith or David Riddick, 1A, 1B. And if you go with that one guy and he struggles and you have to go to that other guy, the guy that you did not choose in the first place, you're going to have two goaltenders with confidences that are shot. And with Mike Smith giving up six goals, and with the offense, you know, really tuning up the way it is for Colorado, I think we are going to see that exact scenario come into play, and it's going to lead to the downfall of the Calgary Flames. Yeah, I agree. Um, we said the same thing about Thomas Christ and Robert Leonard, that one a would be, but Leonard has just been spectacular. So let's go to the Winnipeg series now. The Winnipeg Jets against the St. Louis Blues. Winnipeg finally wins game number three against um, St. Louis and Patrick Laine, who was a ghost for the majority of the remaining 10 games of the, of the regular season, has come through this series. But St. Louis, they're up 2-1. to one. I take Winnipeg in that series. You, you know, I, I, I disagree. Uh, you know, I took St. Louis at the beginning of the series. Certainly, you got to love the signs that you saw from Winnipeg. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, in game three, you know, down to nothing coming into St. Louis. You know, having Patrick Laine score a bunch of goals, getting, finally getting pucks past Jordan Bennington, finally having a good performance from Connor Hellebuck, which I know that a lot of people have been clamoring for in Winnipeg. And, you know, it's a good sign. It's a sign in the right direction. The only reason I like St. Louis better is just because, sure, he had a bad night the other night, 
but Jordan Bennington is a hot goaltender. I believe he ended the year something like 21-4-1, something like that, you know, in his rookie year and started off in, in Winnipeg going 2-0. and And I do not think that they're going to lose both games at home. So I think that St. Louis goes back to Winnipeg up 3-1. And, you know, and that puts a lot of pressure on the Jets. I said it before on my record saying that Connor Hellebuck is not the same goaltender he is last year. He's not. Last year he was the best winning goaltender. This year he has been far more inconsistent. I think he has a goal against average uh, above three four, which is not something you really want to see out of your starting goaltender. So certainly he's played a bit better in the playoffs. Played very well last night to get them back within you know one game deficit, only down two one now. But there is a long hill to climb back for the Winnipeg Jets if you ask me. And I think that the single influence can capitalize on their home ice advantage. In game four, I think they'll win the series. Really quickly before we end the show, one more series to recap. Nashville and Dallas. Dallas has shown some uh, reasons why they may escape that series beating Nashville. They they won game one and Nashville won game two and game three. But Dallas is really making a series out of this. At the end of the day, I take Nashville just because of the way that they're playing. But Dallas should not be taken lightly. They are a very good team. Yeah, you know, and uh, I believe uh, Nashville did take a two-to-one series. Maybe, yes, they did last uh, night. Uh, last night over the Stars, but Zuccarello had another goal last night for the Stars. This is a much better Dallas Stars team. This is a team with a playoff-proven goaltender in Ben Bishop, who led the Tampa Bay Lightning to a Stanley Cup final, led the Tampa Bay Lightning to multiple Eastern Conference finals, and has been proven in the past to be a good playoff goaltender. Stands on his head, one of the biggest goaltenders in the league. When he's on, he's on. You look at the defense, you look at Miro Heiskin, who's starting to emerge as a superstar on the back end. You have John Klingberg, who's great on the power play, and starting to play better defensively as well. You look at trade deadline acquisitions, like Matt Zuccarello, able to spread the wealth you know, throughout that lineup. Jamie Benn, definitely playing well in the postseason. Tyler Diggins, definitely looking to get it going you know, early on. Alexander Radulov, you know, he's a proven player, you know, I, you know, not necessarily in the postseason, but he's, you know, been good in the KHL at big pressure moments and now coming, you know, over to the NHL, you know, definitely going to get back uh, into playoff form. I think that there's a lot of good people on this team for Dallas. I think that they're in a tough deficit right now. I mean, obviously, you don't want to lose that game at home, that first game on home ice. That's a tough loss. But they've been able to show resiliency throughout the season, and I definitely wouldn't count them out. But I got to say, I've been impressed with the way uh, Nashville's been able to play because I'll tell you one, you know, I took uh, Dallas to win the series. I wrote Nashville off a little bit. I said that Nashville's defense is not the same as it's been the last couple of years. You can argue that P.K. Subban has had the worst year uh, of, of his career defensively. You know, it certainly hasn't had a good, uh, good year offensively as well. They've been plagued by injuries. I said it, you know, in past podcasts, I looked it up. Nashville's power play is number 31 in the league. That is not good. And from, you know, a power play that's able to throw at Roman Yossi, P.K. Subban, Victor Arvidsson, Ryan O'Hanson, you know, all of these guys who are able to score a ton of goals being left on the power play, that's not what a Stanley Cup winning team does. And I think although it's been better in the postseason, I think that's something that Dallas is really going to try and take advantage of. Yeah. And just uh, just one quick more point before we end the podcast. Let's just talk about the Rangers getting number Yeah, two that was wild. Game. I mean, that's crazy. Um, yeah. I, I hate mean, the 
you know, I hate the Rangers, but I was kind of hoping for like that Cinderella story, like where they get Jack Hughes <laughs> with the first overall pick. But hey, Capo Cackle is going to be a great player. So, uh, and honestly, yeah. I would prefer if I had the second pick. Yeah, you want Jack Hughes, but it takes a lot of pressure off the Rangers because if you have the first overall pick, you're torn between Capo Cackle or Jack Hughes. And if you take the other, the other one doesn't pan out the right way, you get hell for it. So the Rangers, you take whoever has not been taken first overall. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, Jack Hughes is a Devils fan. So, you know, I hope that uh, the Devils come through on the promise and, you know, to draft their young fan. But, look, they're both generational talent. Obviously, Jack Hughes is, you know, is looked upon as the franchise centers, you know, to the likes of uh, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, you know, in, in the past, certainly not Connor McDavid-esque, but, you know, uh, a, a number one generational center. But I think when you look at the Rangers' needs and you look at the Devils' needs, I think that the Devils are going to, no question, uh, draft Jack Hughes. But if you ask me, I think that the Rangers are better off with Capo Caco. This is a guy who's been playing in the Finnish Liga. He's been playing with men, and he's been putting up points comparable to Alexander Barkov, points comparable to, you know, Patrick Kleine, Mikel Granlund, all, you know, very good, very, very good players in this league. And I think that that bodes very well for the Rangers. He's going to be a guy who's going to be able to get into the front of the net, be strong on puck battles. And when you look at an NHL-ready player, Jack Hughes has been playing in the USA under-18. He's uh, 17, 18 years old. I think that Capo Caco is going to come in, uh, a guy who's been playing with men and has been playing well, you know, with these veteran guys, guys like the NHL, you know, you know, in stature and in build, I think is really going to build well for them. And I think that the Rangers rebuild is definitely accelerated. And hey, if you put together a combination of Capo Caco and Artemi Panarin, the Rangers could look very, very dangerous come next week. <laughs> so that'll wrap things up on the podcast. Lee, it was a pleasure talking to you. I will talk to you next week. All right, sure was. Thanks, Will. That was Liam Glatterman. does a fantastic job, as always, with our show. So, you guys heard it here first on what we think of the series, what we think of what's going to evolve from here on moving out. But be, on behalf of Will Pesic and Liam Glatterman, we say thank you for listening. And always remember, always go hockey. <laughs>